0: Welcome to Books at Work, the best and most useful bits of Business Books. I'm Anna Hughes and my professional purpose is to help people love their work.
1: Pretty much everyone is operating out of their comfort zone right now for at least part of the time. So experiencing setbacks, feeling disappointed, it's kind of just part of the natural order of things. It's the natural part of living right now. And disappointment hurts,
0: Dr Saab Johal is author of our book for this episode called Finding Calm, Managing Fear and Anxiety in an Uncertain World. But first of all, congratulations Kathy Bell for your feedback on our last episode, Future You. Your free copy of the book will be with you shortly. Let me know what you think of books at work or follow us on Instagram and you'll go into the draw for a copy of the latest book featured. Right, let's get into Finding Calm. I first came across Saab Johal when I heard about things he was doing to help people through earthquakes and COVID-19 in New Zealand. As a leading New Zealand psychologist, he brings a down-to-earth, relatable way of writing. He's so interesting, clear, relevant and real. Check out more from him on his noise reduction thoughts on Substack. Finding Calm is the perfect book for now. Saab talks about the huge events going on in the world that will shape how we live in decades ahead. Things like climate change, population growth, artificial intelligence, global instability. And then he talks about a general sense of lack of control over our own futures. So things like dealing with difficult relationships, divorce, unemployment, poverty, racism, work stress, loneliness and a global pandemic. Then each day small things can have large impacts. So those expectations of being available 24-7 for work. Our laptop or phone batteries dying. Too much multitasking, not enough time for family and friends, the list goes on. A world of uncertainty optimised to deliver anxiety. He says it's a fact of life that life will be bumpy. We don't know how things will unfold. Saab describes finding calm as providing a safety bar in the roller coaster of life, soothing out the lows and helping us appreciate the view. He does this by explaining what is going on in our brains as we deal with uncertainty and react like our life is in danger. We have a negativity bias. We start with a negative thought and our brains spiral further down, feeling glum and depressed. This is a normal response to a stressful situation. We're genetically wired to detect negative information or threats faster than positive information or opportunities. Saab will talk us through this, how we identify threats, apply the brake, and then figure out what next and where to go. But before we get him to share his wonderful expertise with us, here's a truly practical tool from the book. In an uncertain world where unpredictability hits, people crave structure. We can use structure in troublesome times to improve our well-being. One of the many useful tools in this book is the five ways to well-being framework, something to reflect on and consider as we listen to Sab in a moment. Treat this like the equivalent of five pieces of fruit or veggies a day to stay physically healthy. So those five things are connect, feeling cared for and part of a supportive network matters, Learn, seek out new experiences. This gives us a sense of satisfaction and achievement. Active, exercise effectively improves moods. Notice, slow down. Notice what's happening around you and savor the moment. Give, do something lovely for a friend or a stranger. I feel calmer already, just having permission to focus on those things. Right, let's chat to Dr. Saab Johal now. Joining Box at Work is Saab Johal. Welcome, Saab.
1: Sure. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's our pleasure. I'm really delighted to share some of the bits of your book to our community. Um, yes, I, I got a hell of a lot out of it, and have been using some of the tips in the last week, actually, particularly around dealing with disappointment. So, thank you for that.
1: Thanks Anna, I'm glad you found it helpful.
0: (laughs) That's brilliant. Uh, So we always start with the question, where in the world are you and what's the view out your window?
1: Uh, So I'm on the south coast uh, in Wellington in New Zealand. Uh, I have just come downstairs after making a coffee uh, and that view is across the Cook Strait. Uh, We live right up on a hill in Southgate. Uh, And so I actually have my office set up downstairs, uh, which looks out into the garden, which is a much smaller view. Because if I spent my time upstairs on the kitchen table, I wouldn't get anything done. I would just be mesmerised by that view the whole time.
0: (laughs) Sounds stunning. Well, I've got my coffee too, so I'll try and be quiet as I drink it as we chat. Um, So yeah, really keen to get into the nitty gritty and starting off with the chapter around the trouble with uncertainty. So. Could you could you talk us through uh, what's going on when we face uncertainty and the threat system, the calming system and the motivation system? And you've got this wonderful analogy of the smoke detector. So could you just talk us through that and take as long as you like, because I think it's really important to set the scene for us.
1: Sure. So what I talk about in the book is that we have these three systems, that threat system, the calming system and then your drive system as well. And this is kind of what determines how it is that you are in the world. Uh, And we can think about how we spend times in in those particular states and engaging those systems. So the first one is the threat system, which is that basic smoke detector in your brain and it alerts you when danger is detected and you need to watch out or take some kind of action. It's a somewhat complex process, involves the entire brain, but more specifically, this kind of limbic system, often known as the lizard brain for people. And it's it's a set of structures in your brain, and it deals with both emotions and memory and all sorts of other kinds of systems. But essentially, it governs this fight, flight, and freeze behavior that we might see. It concentrates your attention and your resources on doing something about the threat, if it detects one, and it's designed to save your life, it alerts you, it tells you to get out of danger, that flight mode, the freeze mode, because you know back in the days when we were being predated upon, often pre- predators have motion detectors that are really, really sensitive. So it tells you to stop just in case you set off those motion detectors, but also to stop what you're doing in case you then get yourself into further trouble, not necessarily just with, a, with a, uh, a predator. And then you often get that freeze behavior that you see, um, the fight, the, sorry, the fight behavior, which is, you know, actually can, can I do something uh, to get myself out of this situation by acting more aggressively? So once you've got that engaged, often it's really about a life-threatening situation. But in a modern era where we have these kind of basic systems that we're bringing with us through evolution into this modern age, when we have so much changing around us, particularly this ongoing unpredictability and uncertainty that we have to live with, that threat detection system's firing quite often. And that's especially the case if you're kind of locked into 24-hour news and, or checking websites a lot, or spending a lot of time thinking about the latest crisis that might be going on in the world. The more time that you spend looking at information that your brain is finding threatening, like doom scrolling on your phone, perhaps, the more you stoke this threat detection response and your brain responds as if your life is at risk, even though that might not be true in the moment. It's constantly responding as if you're in imminent danger. And as I said before, it concentrates all your attention and your resources on dealing with that threat. So it's very hard to do anything else. Your brain is focused on these actions, which it thinks is necessary for you to stay alive. But what that also does is that it shuts down the capacity that you might have for creativity or strategic thinking. Because all of these are parts of the frontal cortex, the front part of your brain, which came along later in evolution, because all your resources are going to the limbic system, that lizard part of your brain, which is designed to keep you alive. So this brings us on to the second system. So outside of the threat response system, you have your calming system. And that's key in bringing that creativity and strategic thinking back online. And we have to do that by intentionally calming ourselves. So if you think of the what's called the sympathetic nervous system as the accelerator in your brain, it revs you up and prepares you to fight, flee or freeze, then the parasympathetic nervous system is the opposite. And this acts as your brake. And your calming system, that parasympathetic nervous system, brings your body back down into equilibrium after going through some kind of stressful situation and it enables you to redeploy your attention redeploy your resources it slows down your breathing and your heart rate it brings your digestion back on track and it relaxes your muscles now the really nice thing the really brilliant thing about the calming system and the parasympathetic nervous system is that you can Activate it by doing a really simple activity like deep belly breathing. And what that does is that it actively presses the brake. It eases the pressure on your threat your threat detection system. What it does is that it convinces your threat detection system that, hey, your internal kind of processes, your internal environment seems to be changing. Your heart rate is slowing down. Breathing rate is slowing down. So maybe we can ease back our alert levels because this isn't a threatening situation anymore. Your body doesn't seem to be reacting in that way. And so then you can then bring back all this creativity and strategic thinking that you might have been missing. But once you've done that, once you've pressed on the brake, you've engaged that calming system so that your threat system is no longer in control, what do you do next? That's where the third system comes in. It's your drive or your motivation system. Once you're able to use that accelerator, the threat system and the brake more smoothly, you have to figure out where it is that you want to go. Now, the issue here is that what if life has changed completely? What if your life destination is no longer what it was before you ended up in this cycle of your threat detection system taking over for a period of time or for, years, months, or perhaps only a short period of time. Sometimes they can be quite acute and make us think about, well, what is it that we should be doing now with our lives? Now, you may think you need something like a GPS system or something equivalent, but if the terrain of the landscape has changed so much that actually you don't have an active GPS system map that's suitable, in fact, no one has because it's so unknown and so unusual, Then you need something far more basic. And what I talk about here as your drive motivation system is really your value system. And your value system acts as a compass to steer you through troubled waters and the uncharted territory that might be in front of you.
0: So I love that idea of compass and I hope we can get to it when we talk a little bit about self-regulation and I just want to thank you for that uh, little uh, wander through those systems because I have to admit I was a bit nervous when I started this conversation and just hearing you, maybe that wasn't my um, fight thing going on. Anyway, hearing you talk about that just helped me relax as well. So um, thank you for that. Um, So when we're dealing with uncertainty, you talk about the importance of routine and habit as being an antidote to uncertainty. Could you just explain Mm. that that to us?
1: Mm, Yeah, we as humans are creatures of habit, we love predictability. We love routines. We like our everyday activity in general to have some kind of familiar pattern to it. We go to work, maybe we go to the gym, we take our kids to school and after school activities, we eat dinner, we go to bed at regular times maybe. And on the weekend, we might vary that up a bit. We might go to or play or watch sport. We might do some DIY. We catch up with our friends. We might try and catch up with our sleep. or We might go to some kind of spiritual gathering together or have a family meal. We crave this routine. Uh, and what it does is that it gives us this, these islands of predictability that act as an antidote to uncertainty because it helps us to increase the predictability, what's gonna happen next in our lives. So we're not looking for the next threat. We can see that actually this is what's coming next and we are prepared for it because perhaps we've done it before. We have a deep need to know what's gonna happen next. And when we can't satisfy that, Many of us can feel dislocated, disoriented, or even anxious. Now, in normal times, that predictability helps us to navigate everyday life on a fairly even keel. Sure, we might sprinkle it with new things every now and again, but it occurs in the context of actual relative predictability of what's going on in life. We have these weekly schedules, daily schedules in place. We tend not to worry so much about what's coming around the corner. And that sense of continuity, it helps us to provide this fabric of meaning in our lives. It allows us to believe that the world is a safe, stable and positive place. Or at the very least, it's not out to get us. It's not out to cause us harm deliberately.
0: So how do you create that habit and that routine if everything is uncertain? You know, if like through COVID, our school, our work... You know, lots of things, lots of that habit and routine has gone. How do you mm. h- how do you sort that out?
1: <laughs> mm, mm. Well, I think what lots of people did, you know, if we go back two years and we start thinking about, you know, nobody had been in lockdown before, nobody had really understood what this is around, well, what this is about. We started building these little islands of predictability and routine, you know, as families or as individuals, we started to restructure our days and start thinking about, well, how are we going to spend this time? but also things like how are we going to do the shopping? How are we going to do our exercise? What are we going to do with our spare time? How do we communicate with each other? What is Zoom? All yeah. of these things that we were trying to kind of figure out that were mysterious and new to us. We started to build up this, these little islands of predictability. Then they, they become the places where we can place our feet with relative stability, even though we may have swirling seas around us we learned to take footsteps on these little islands of predictability. Now, it's interesting, though, because one of the things that has become clear, particularly relevant in these last couple of years, is that certainty is not the opposite of uncertainty. Actually, the opposite of uncertainty is being here now, because uncertainty, often the feelings that come with that is anxiety about the future or worry about the future and it comes from this need to know what's going to happen next and the only thing that really works to ease that sense of anxiety about what's going to happen next is to really immerse yourself in the present what is really happening now for you now it doesn't mean that that uncertainty goes away but it means that we're probably less dominated by that need to know what's going to happen in the future because we're, we're focused on the experience that we're going through now. We actually have less space and mental space. And the more we can be absorbed by what we're doing right now, the less mental space and emotional space is spent trying to process what's going to be happening in the near future.
0: How do you do that? How do you stay in the moment and be absorbed with now?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting because one of the really big predictors of who kind of does well in this kind of a situation, like going through a lockdown or big periods of uncertainty, it's actually things like getting absorbed in a hobby, picking up something perhaps that you've done in the past or picking up something new that you're trying to do now and learn. Not so big a goal that it becomes stressful, but just little bits that stretch you. And the reason why these are really protective of people's mental well being is that it promotes what's called an experience of flow. And that's really being absorbed in the present in a way that time just absolutely flies. You kind of lose your sense of where you are or who you're with. Um, you're just having a great time. That doesn't necessarily mean an emotionally euphoric time, but it's just taking up all of your attention and it's giving you intense pleasure through doing that. So it might be the experience of playing a musical instrument or getting really into that DIY project, or for, for a lot of people, baking. You know, that really absorbs their time. They, they they got creative, they did it with their families, they did it by themselves, all sorts of things that continue to bring them joy joy and satisfaction, even though we don't know what's coming around the corner. Because what's going on here is that we're learning to disentangle and disengage our threat system. We're no longer at the mercy of that worry and uncertainty. We're activating our calming system and we're finding emotions associated with that. So we don't have to operate as if our lives are constantly in danger. The uncertainty doesn't go away. But it's dominating less of our mental and emotional space.
0: So, is that all part of mastering your break? Is that is that part of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we can intentionally we can intentionally press that break. Now, often people just kind of want things to just happen. Uh, they say, "Well, you know, if it's right, it will just happen." But what I argue is that you can intentionally take control of that of that process and so there are lots of things that can can do that for us you know there's this experience of flow that i talked about but often people will find you know they want distraction rather than doing something actively so you know they'll sit down and they'll watch a box set of or they'll watch stream a whole series of movies or videos funny cat videos the latest thing that's on you know netflix or whatever and it's It's great. It's a good way to kind of take your mind off the threat and to calm down. But it is possible also to indulge a little bit, perhaps too much, in that. You know, these are the things that comfort us, but they don't necessarily that we don't necessarily want them to become our go-to strategy for coping with difficult circumstances. You know, we might find ourselves perhaps a little bit socially isolated. If we're doing that all the time, or perhaps not getting the best exercise or exposure to daylight, all of these things that are important for a well-rounded experience that contributes to our well-being. So distraction works just as well as flow can in the short term. But what we're thinking about here is really what's going to help to make a difference in in the long term that's going to be sustainable, not just for you, but your connection with other people,
0: too. Wonderful. Thank you. Now, there are two other concepts in that chapter that I was keen to talk about, and one of them was dealing with disappointment. Um, so, yeah, keen to go through. How, how can we, what, what are your tips for how we do that?
1: Yeah, I think one of the, again, the corollaries, one of the things that perhaps modern life deceives us about is that, you know, we're going to be successful all the time. Uh, and I think that one of the things that we as People, leaders, parents, whatever, is recognising and recognising for others as well that disappointment is a normal part of life. It's part of what we go through. So reminding ourselves that disappointment's going to happen, particularly if we're outside of our comfort zone, something that is new to us or something that we're pushing ourselves towards. But particularly at times of uncertainty like this that are shared, pretty much everyone is operating out of their comfort zone right now. For at least part of the time so experiencing setbacks feeling disappointed it's kind of just part of the natural order of things it's the natural part of living right now and disappointment hurts uh, it can feel sharp or it can feel deflating at a slightly lower level and it's okay to acknowledge that and just remind yourself that you've probably experienced disappointment before in your life uh, and thinking about well What is it that you've done? And and trying to take a a bit of a zoomed out, wider perspective, taking it out into the light, perhaps talking about your disappointment with your friends or loved ones and and understanding that that might be a shared experience, but perhaps not, not succumbing to the temptation of becoming doom and gloom and just being captured by that disappointment, but thinking about also how you can quit that comparison trap that we can often find ourselves in. You know, we look through people's social media feeds and we, we see that they're perhaps look, they look like they're living this kind of like great life and we can become depressed or disappointed by the situation we find ourselves in. It's good to remember that these things are curated. It's good to remember that they're showing their best selves much of the time they don't see you don't see their five day old pizza boxes (laughs) strewn across the floor or the state that their bedrooms are in or, or whatever it might be so use it use it as a way to kind of yes see what other people might be doing that might be helpful but not being kind of trapped by the this comparison trap thinking that everybody else has got it better than you the other thing I think is really important to bear in mind is the how gratitude and practicing gratitude can help us to refocus on what we have rather than perhaps what we may feel like we lack, which can lead to that sense of disappointment. Tapping into that sense of gratitude can help you to put things into perspective and prevent that sense of disappointment from overwhelming you and derailing your entire day or week. And I think that that's the danger of disappointment is that it can leak out And before you know it, the whole day is gone and you felt in in a bit of a down mood and disappointment. So trying to figure out ways of looking to see what you do have and what has gone well for you is a way of just kind of drawing a little bit of a line around that disappointment, acknowledging that it's there, but enabling you to move on with your day to, to move on to something that gives you a little bit more satisfaction.
0: Wonderful, and it worked for me last week, so thank you again. Um, thank you. Now, I do just want to wrap up with the going back to the beginning about GPS systems and finding your compass. Um, I really like that idea of finding your compass. Um, you end the book when you talk about self-regulation. Can you hmm. talk to us about that concept and how do we develop that?
1: So self-regulation, um, in a nutshell, is um, it's about the ability to contain, control, and regulate our disruptive, our disruptive emotions and impulses. And often it comes along with remembering and understanding the context of whatever is going on with our long-term goals and values. Now, self-regulation itself is kind of one of the hallmarks is being able to take a pause between whatever it is that you're feeling and then whatever it is that you do after that. So taking the time to perhaps think things through, being able to respond rather than react, being able to make a plan or or wait patiently. People who self-regulate are better able to see the good in situations or other people. They can express themselves appropriately and they see opportunities where perhaps other people don't. Self-regulation enables you because you're constantly thinking about how is what I'm doing right now in service or in line with the goals or values that kind of are principles by how I live my life. So if your principle or value is to try to see the best in people and not necessarily think that they're out to get you, which is an easy way to kind of like be in the world, then you're able to perhaps think about, well, if that's the case, then how is it that I give them the benefit of the doubt? without letting myself being taken uh, be taken advantage of. But it's kind of like gives you a bit of a stance as to how to operate in the world. So as adults, it might be that the first step is to recognize that in every situation, you may feel like you're forced into three options. Now, they may be those fight, flight, or freeze reactions. And I, though it feels like you might be forced Force, then you don't have a choice in your behavior and it's out of your control, it actually, as an adult, you're more than those reactions. So by calming your system down, it gives you the opportunity to take that pause between the thought or the emotion and whatever it is that you do next. And then we're back to the drive system that I talked about at the beginning. Bringing your value system into play calms your threat system down because It's really difficult to press the accelerator and the brake at the same time. Once you've got the breakdown, the accelerator kind of eases off. But then we're trying to figure out where we're going to go next. So it allows you to focus on a wider range of behaviours, that creativity, that strategic thinking is back online because your calming system has now taken control. And so it enables you to think about, well, what's going to bring me fulfilment? What's going to bring me happiness what's going to bring me satisfaction what's the action here that's going to be in line this is really what self-regulation is about it's being able to control the impulse or the disruptive emotion that that may feel like it's forcing us down to a particular path but it's the ability to just stop for a second and think about strategically what is it that i want to do in this moment
0: what a wonderful way to end our conversation. Thank you so much. I love the react versus respond. I need to work on that myself. Um, so thank you very Don't much. All. Sir. <laughs> all. Thank you so much. It was lovely to chat to you. And I know that there's lots of wonderful things in this episode that people will love. On to the Finding Calm Take Five. One, we're wired for negativity. Two, Islands of predictability. Humans love habit and familiar patterns. This is an antidote to uncertainty. Deliberately find and create routine. Three, immerse yourself in the now. You'll have less mental and emotional space to fill up with uncertainty about the future. Four, disappointment is normal. It's part of life. Take it out to the light and share it. Five, pause, don't react. Wait until you respond. Self-regulation makes us more able to see the good and opportunities. That's the Books at Work Finding Calm episode done and dusted. Please send me feedback or follow Books at Work on Instagram. I'm Anna Hughes, Books at Work, making work better.